Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. But this morning I want us to look at this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 15. In verse 1 the Bible says, One day Samuel said to Saul, It was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people, Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire nation of Amalek. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. So Saul mobilized his army at Telaim. There were 200,000 soldiers from Israel and 10,000 men from Judah. Then Saul and his army went to a town of the Amalekites and lay in wait in the valley. Saul sent his warning to the Kenites, move away from the Amalekites where they live or you will die with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites packed up and left. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs. Everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. That's a lot of reading to start with, but I want to talk to you this morning from a sermon titled Partial Obedience. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. God, I pray that you'd strengthen my body now. Touch my mind and my mouth, Lord. Let me say the things that would honor you today, God. I pray you'd speak to us. Lord, let us be taught from your word by your spirit, God. I pray you'd increase our faith. Show us what you'd have us to know, God. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness, for all that you're doing. Lord, And we ask you to do your work now. In Jesus' name, amen. Partial obedience. We live in a day and time where most people believe that when it comes to our servitude for God, a little is enough. We have been taught and and watched other people say, well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so, as if that makes you good enough. I want us to understand today, if you don't get anything out of this message, if you fall asleep before I even get back behind the podium, I want you to get this. God expects more. There is a high standard for Christianity, and we need to understand exactly what that standard is. I'm going to do a lot of teaching this morning, less preaching and more teaching. So it's going to require your fellowship. You're going to need to follow along and stay involved in this story. This is a historical account, and we've got a couple of different players and a big country involved. We've got Samuel the prophet involved in this passage. We've got Saul the king involved in this passage, and we've got a nation of people called the Amalekites, which are the enemies of the people of God. I've got more points to this message than any other message I've ever had, so let's move through them quickly because I want to get you out here early. First thing I want you to see this morning is that God gave Saul specific instructions. 
One of the things I love about the Lord is He's very specific. The Bible is a specific book, and if you read the Bible, you're going to find out not only does God give Saul specific instructions, but there are specific instructions in this book for us as well. Can you believe that? Listen to what the Word says in 1 Samuel 15, 3. Saul, Samuel is telling Saul what God has for him to do. He said, now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Go and completely destroy. What kind of destroy? Completely destroy. This is a specific word, and you need to have specific instructions on what you believe God wants you to do with your life. Now, everybody doesn't have it as easy as Saul. Saul had this man, Samuel, who was always coming around to him to tell him exactly what God said. Well, God has helped us even greater than that, though, because he's given us his spirit on the inside, and he's given us this book. The difference is this book won't come around and grab you. you got to come around and grab this book. This book won't pull you over and say, hey, thus saith the Lord. you got to pull this book over and hear what thus saith the Lord. But Saul had this prophet, Samuel, who came by and told him, this is what God is commanding you to do. Go and completely destroy the Amalekite nation, men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. That's pretty specific. I don't know if they had dogs and cats back then. I don't know if they had iguana or, or, or turtles back then. But I do know that they had cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. And God said to do what to them? Destroy them how? Completely destroy. I want you to see the specificity of God's word this morning. God gave Saul specific instructions. Not only that, but secondly, I want you to see that Saul put his own twist on what God said. And here is where we find our part in this story. We see that God gives us specific instruction too, but I believe more than any other generation in the history of the world, we today put our own twist on what God has said. We put our own twist on what God has said. More has changed from cultural acceptability in the last 30 years in the church than had changed in 2,000 years prior to the last 30 years. I finally found out, I told y'all a couple of Wednesday nights ago that I'd read something that burdened me. Listen, if I quote somebody, that doesn't mean I agree with everything they say. If I name somebody's name from the pulpit, don't dig up dirt on them and, and email me and say, oh, you quoted him, do you know he did this and thus and so and so. I don't believe everything. Uh, my, our theology, your theology is not the same as Bishop Jake's. But Bishop Jakes is a great preacher. Bishop Jakes is a great storyteller. Bishop Jakes has been used by God to bring a lot of people to Christ. And I was uh, disheartened when I found out that T.D. Jakes said that his position on homosexuality inside the church had evolved and he would no longer let a book that was thousands of years old govern his viewpoint on how to treat people in the 21st century. Somebody should gasp. Somebody should believe that no matter how many thousands of years old this book is, this book is still our standard for life. This book does not, it, it, it does get old, but it doesn't get out of date. And just because culture changes doesn't mean that God changes. 
Amen. I've heard people tell me, Pastor Scott, you're just a dinosaur. You're just too old school. Times change. Yes, times change, but God says, I am the Lord thy God. I change not. We are seeing an attack on the church that is unprecedented in any generation throughout the entire history of the church. And leaders of the highest level are changing their belief system, adjusting their morality, putting a twist on what has been accepted theology for thousands of years so they can say, well, this is how we do it. I want you to know today, it doesn't matter how Saul wanted to do it. It It doesn't matter how I want to do it or how Bishop Jakes wants to do it. It only matters what God says. Be careful when you put your twist on what God says. Be careful when you find yourself adjusting what you used to believe theologically to fit your present situation. Our present situation has no bearing on God's truth. Our culture has no bearing on God's truth. Our way of thinking in the 21st century has no bearing on God's truth. God is not out of date, and God will never adjust to our culture, but we better line up with God's Word. Saul comes along, and he puts his twist. There was no doubt what God had said. God sent his prophet to tell Saul exactly what he said. Samuel gave him a specific word in that time, but Saul found a way to twist it. In verse 8, the Bible says that he captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Well, God's specific word was to completely destroy everything. All the men, all the women. All the children, all the babies, all the animals, but he, being Saul, decided, well, I'm not going to kill the king. He put his own twist on it because he thought he had something special in mind that was bigger than what God said. I don't care how long you study the Bible. I don't care how saved, sanctified, and fire baptized you are. You will never come up with a better idea than what God has said. I met someone a couple of months ago who told me that God had shown them a new twist on theology and that the church had been doing it wrong for thousands of years and God was going to catapult them to the forefront of the earth and let them teach us what God really wanted to say. Do you realize the, 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 the massive amount of arrogance it would take For one human being to believe that they were smarter than all the saints of God who have lived for thousands of years. Men and women of great intellect, men and women of divine calling, men and women of fantastic relationship with God have labored over this truth and given us established truth. I want to tell you just as simple as Solomon said it. If it's new, it ain't true. When it comes to theology, if it's new, it ain't true. Our theology is old because this book is old and our God is old and it's unchanging. Saul comes along, he puts his own twist on it. He said, well, I know God said to kill them all, but I kind of like this king. I got something special in mind for him. So he decided to completely destroy 
everyone else. I told you the title of the sermon this morning is Partial Obedience. Can you see what Saul is doing? He's having partial obedience. He's not completely disagreeing with everything God said. He's not completely disrespecting everything God said. He's not going against everything God said, but he is putting his own twist on it. In verse 9, Saul, the Bible says, Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats. <sighs> Y'all see where this is going? It's going from bad to worse. God said, destroy them all. Now, that sounds brutal and savage, but it is what it is. Why did God want all the babies killed? You don't have a good answer for that because no one does, and I don't either. Why, why kill the donkeys? I mean, let's just get down to it. Okay, what did the donkey do? What, why, why kill the donkeys? I mean, a don- what could the donkey have possibly? It does not matter why. We need to get a Shakespearean mentality when it comes to our walk and the way we relate to God. Ours is not to reason why. Ours is but to do or die. We just need to do what God says. If you have to figure everything out that God tells you, you will never walk by faith because sometimes you can't figure it out. You just have to faith it out. Sometimes it won't make sense. to. It doesn't make sense to me why God said kill donkeys. It doesn't make sense to me why God... What did the sheep do? Couldn't they possibly have been used for something good for God's people? Could wasn't there, Listen, this is the way Saul's thinking. I know what God said, but hey, this is a pretty good looking sheep over here. Now, they killed the ugly sheep. I get that. Ain't no room for ugly. But they killed the ugly sheep. They killed the ugly goat, but they kept the best. The best in their eyes. They saw something as good that God had told them not to mess with. God said kill them off, but in their eyes they looked good. See, this is what's as old as time. This is the trick of the devil. The the Bible says that in the beginning, God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and Satan came and tempted them. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that the strategy of the devil is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The devil wants to make it look good to you. No matter what God says about it, well, it's not that bad. When you find yourself saying it's not that bad realize you are opposing God when you find yourself saying well it could be worse realize you are putting your own twist against what God has said they kept the best of the sheep and goats and cattle they kept the fat calves listen that's good news for fat people fat ain't necessarily ugly somebody say amen I told you they killed all the ugly ones, but fat can be best as well because they only kept the best. I'm going to keep going. Thank God for chicken and donuts and the lambs. Now look at this next word, everything. In fact, that what appealed to them. He's moved from doing what God told him. He did a little bit of what God told him. He put his own twist on it in as far as it appealed to him. 
And this is no different thousands of years later to what most people do in their relationship to God today. God said, when you gather together on the first day of the week, Sunday, to come in corporate worship and celebration of his resurrection, that you should sing unto him. But we have people that come into church on Sunday morning and don't sing. You're putting your own twist on your religion. God said to live holy. But we got people that claim the name of Christ and live shabby. You're putting your own twist on God's religion. God said to set aside the first 10% of every dime that comes into your household all week long and bring it to church on Sunday morning and give it to the church. But people decide, well, if I got a 20 in my pocket and a 5 in my pocket, you think you know what most people are going to give. What do you think most people are going to give? Nothing. I ain't telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I know. I've been doing this for four decades. People put their own twist on what God said. They kept everything that appealed to them. In their mind, they did a lot of what God said. But in actuality, they only did what God said that they agreed with. In their mind, as they justified it, they would say, well, we did a lot of what God told us to do. No, they only did as much of what God said as was comfortable to them. Everything that appealed to them, even though God said kill it, they saved it. And this is the same thing that people are doing in 2017. It says they destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. And I want you to get this. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality as far as they made that decision. They didn't sit down sheep by sheep. They didn't sit down goat by goat, lamb by lamb, cattle by. They didn't sit down and say, God, is is this one worthless or is this one worth keeping? They couldn't do that with God. Why? Because God had already said, kill them all. But we're trying to sift and pick and choose, is, 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 is this okay, God? Can I go this far and still be all right with you? See, this is the modern-day approach to God. People don't really want to know what do you have to do to, to really please God. They want to know how close to the edge can I get without falling off. Can I hang 10? People want to hang 100 pounds off the edge. Listen. If you, if you, I weigh 215, if I hang 100 pounds off this edge right now, I'm probably going to fall. Stop living on the edge of what's wrong and start living on what God told you. Saul put his own twist on it. Not only that, third thing he did, I want you to see this morning, God said Saul was not loyal and refused to obey his command. Whereas Saul would tell you, We did most of what God said. Saul said, God said, you're unloyal and you refused to obey my command. I want you to understand, partial obedience in God's eyes is just disobedience. It'd be like if you told, I'll use me because this is going to happen tonight. I'm going to tell my son because it's Sunday night. I'm going to tell my son, make sure you get that trash on the street. Now, if he takes the trash from the kitchen and just leaves it on the front porch, 
if, if his mind tells him, I did most of what dad said, he's still getting beat. Leave trash on my front porch. I said, take the trash where? To the street. Put the trash on the sh- where it goes. If you put the trash in my navigator. Well, I took, Dad, you said take the trash out. I took it out. I put it inside your truck. This, see, we laugh and think that's silly, but this is how most Christians approach what God is telling them to do. They, 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 and, and feel good about it and think, well, you know, I, I put some effort in. I did okay. Listen, my son can say he put some effort in, but if he takes the trash out of the kitchen can and doesn't seal it off and just takes the whole bag and slings it across the yard and say it's out on the street, Dad, he's still in trouble because he didn't do what he knew I told him to do. And we've got to understand that when we don't do exactly what God says, God sees us as disloyal and disobedient. Listen to verse 10. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry that ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel loved Saul. Samuel had anointed Saul to be the king. They worked in conjunction together to keep the nation right. And God said, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul. This is a hard phrase to understand in the English because why would God be sorry for anything if he knows the end from the beginning? If God knows everything that's going to happen, how is he all of a sudden sorry for Saul? This does not indicate a change of mind. God's not changing his mind because God never changes his mind. The Bible says he's of one mind and he can't be turned. He's not changing his mind. It's just an expression of sorrow. He's sorrowful over Saul's disobedience. I want you to know the scripture tells us that we can grieve the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is God. We can sorrow God by our disobedience. And when we sorrow God by our disobedience, God sees us as not only disloyal, but unblessable. And I believe this is one of the greatest things that sorrows God over our disobedience. God is our Father. Somebody make the air a little colder in here. God is our Heavenly Father. And a father wants to bless his children. I tell my kids all the time. My kids ask me for stuff every day. Whether it's, Dad, can we go to Disney World today? Like, that's an everyday request. Dad, can, can, we, get, can we watch this $500 pay-per-view? Dad, can, can, you know, can we go to this place to eat? They're always asking because they know I love them and I want to bless them. But if my children disobey me, disrespect me, are unloyal to me, are disobedient to me, then they take their self out of the position of being blessable. And the sad news for the average Christian, we're not in a position of blessability. We have a father who longs to bless us. We have a father who longs to give us the kingdom, the scripture says. But we personally take ourselves out of a position of blessability and it sorrows the father because he longs to bless his children so here it is God says he's just not loyal and he has refused to obey my command God didn't say he didn't do everything I told him to do God didn't say he went halfway God didn't say I'm glad he did a little bit of it but I wish he would have done more of it 
God sees it as a total out-and-out disloyal refusal to obey his command. Look at the fourth thing I want you to see. Saul felt good about what he had done. Here's the average Christian right here. Partial obedience, I'm doing my thing. I showed up to church. No, I didn't sing. I didn't worship. I didn't praise God. I didn't put nothing in the bucket. But ain't y'all glad I came? No. Well, I won't come back. Okay. More room for somebody else. Hallelujah. We're not running a popularity contest here, and we're not running a numbers game here. Come if you want to come. Stay home if you want to stay home. If you call yourself saved, though, you ought to have a desire to come and do what God tells you to do. And not just feel good about what you've done when you know what you've done was not all you could have done. It wasn't it took no skin off Saul's back to kill that king. He shouldn't have left that man alive. God said, kill them all. It wouldn't have taken no extra effort off Saul. Did you see how many men, 200,000 men plus 10,000? I don't know what was special about them 10,000 from Judah, but they must have been the elite. You know, they must have been special forces because you take 200,000 from one crowd and only 10,000 from the other. I mean, that must have been the Green Beret rolling in. But it wouldn't take no extra effort off Saul. Saul could have said, kill all them sheep and go. He wouldn't even had to work any harder. But he made up in his mind that what he had done was good enough, and he was going to put his own twist on it. He actually even felt good about it. Listen to verse 12. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him, Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gilgal. Saul is so excited about his conquering. Saul is so excited about the fact that he was able to, with 210,000 men, overthrow an entire nation, capture their king, kill off the ugly sheep, amen, keep the pretty and the fat ones, hallelujah, and disobey God. He is so excited over what he's done, he's going around and said, hey, y'all need to build a statue to me because I just dominated. It's like the statue they just put out in front of the Staples Center for Shaq or whatever they're calling that building now. They, they built a monument to Saul because he told them to. Why did he think he deserved a monument? Because he felt good about what he had done. If you know you're disobeying God, let me, let me give you a hint. Don't feel good about it. All of us disobey God at some level. None of us are perfect. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all still yet in our process. But where you know you are disobeying God, don't feel good about it. Don't build monuments to your sinfulness. If you know that you have a problem with whatever it is, and we can talk about it. Listen, churches make big deals out of stuff that ain't no bigger deal than anything else. The Bible says if you broke one law, you're guilty of breaking them all. Why the church decided drinking was worse than gossiping is, is foolishness. The, the Bible says, why, why being drunk? The Bible says don't be drunk. The Bible also says don't gossip, okay? But the church tries to make drinking and smoking out to be bigger than gossiping and lying. It, it is, it's foolishness. The church tries to make homosexuality out to be worse off than not reading your Bible. Sin is sin. God don't see levels of sin, so we've all got something. That's why when people come to me and say, ooh, Pastor Scott, so-and-so was parking, ushering out in the parking lot, greeting out in the parking lot, and I think I smell cigarette smoke on her. 
Well, I think I smell hate gossiping backbiting on you. When you get perfect, and you, 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 then you have space to talk about somebody, but you're never going to get perfect. Okay, here's the thing, though. Don't build monuments to your sinfulness. Okay, let's, let's, let's just go with, with smoking. I, I'm not a cigarette smoker. I, I'm not a dope. I don't smoke anything. Uh, chicken, hallelujah. Well, I let Sonny's do that for me, Bono's, wherever. But if, if you do that and you want to quit, you feel like God wants you to quit, don't build a big monument of cigarette packs in your bedroom and bow down to them and pray to them. Let's get off that because there's other stuff affecting people in the church. If you are an Internet porn freak, check one, two. Are y'all hearing me? If you are surfing the Internet, looking at stuff that is going to twist your mind, and the Bible says to avoid youthful lusts, the Bible says flee from that type of behavior. But if you have a stronghold in that area, and that's an area of sin for you, if that's an area for weakness for you, don't go to the store and buy 500 porno books and stack them up in the middle of your living room and bow down and pray to them. You ought to have some shame to your foolishness. You ought to have some, at least, I know it's wrong, pray for me, I need to do better. You ought to at least have that much. If you go build a monument to your disobedience, then you really, I mean, you're pushing the envelope at this point. You're about to find out where yourself where Saul ended up. If you get to the place where you can say, I'm just doing me, and that's who I am, and that's what I'm about, you have crossed into dangerous territory. This ought to be the story for every Christian. Let's just say maybe you got a drinking issue. Maybe you just, you know, you, you just find yourself getting drunk every day. You know you don't want to be drunk every day. The Bible says don't be drunk, so you don't want to be drunk. But maybe that's just an issue that you have going on. And, and you say, pray for me. I need to do better. You're not building up a monument. You don't keep, save all your empties and stack them up and build a monument to them. You don't be, save all your empties and bow down and pray to them. If you are saved, you ought to at least have enough Holy Ghost in you to say, I know it's wrong, I need to do better, pray for me that I'll do better. Saul don't have it like that. Saul's like, man, y'all build me a trophy, I just dominated. I feel so good about what I did. Listen to verse 13. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. This dude is shot out. He's so proud of himself. He's so full of his own greatness, he doesn't even realize that he's been disobedient to God and to the man of God. And listen, most people live different in front of preachers than they do in front of other people. That don't make sense. Preacher's just a human being. Okay? Preacher is no, no special person at all. A preacher no different than a, a Christian plumber. He's just a Christian doing what God told him to do. That, that's all he is. I go on visiting on people. I told y'all before about people's look like the hair's on fire. I've walked up on people, go visit somebody, stop by the house. I, I see them. I'm riding down the road, pulling up their driveway, and then all of a sudden they take this hand and do this with it. Why did they do that? They're trying to hide something. And I'll let it go for a minute because I've been in the Army. And I know the strain that this puts on your shoulder and on your elbow. You can't hold this parade rest arm position for too long before it starts to cramp you down. So I'll let it just start to burn in that top part of the shoulder for them. 
And then I'll say something humorous like, bruh, either your hair is on fire or you got a cigarette behind your back because you got smoke coming up all behind. You don't have to hide that from me. I told y'all before about the move I've seen, and I've seen this dozens of times. Go to somebody's house. They'd be out. I don't know why people like to drink and water the lawn, but that's, fa- that's favorable here in North Florida. People like to have some cold drink in their hand and a water hose. They just drink in one hand, spraying water with the other, just drinking and spraying, spraying and drinking. I pull up. They see big black. You can't miss the navigator. And I pull up, and they see that navigator rolling. They, they, they take this hand. Boom. And it is hilarious. If you've never seen a full to half semi-full can of beer just go all up over somebody's house and fall off into their backyard, that's a sight to behold. And I'm like, bruh. Why'd you throw your beer away? Oh, you saw that? I saw that. It just rotated 300 times, spitting out beer as it flew over your house. Either you threw a beer can over your house or we're being invaded invaded by alien beer cans, spitting on us. And rinse that off your roof. It's going to draw bugs. Oh, you saw that? Why would you throw that away? Because of me. Why are you going to hide that? Because of me. If you know it's wrong, you need to understand God sees it. Well, now throw it over your roof. Hallelujah. But at least those people, the can-tossing, back-hiding folk, have enough Holy Ghost in them to have some shame in their disobedience. Now I saw, so I was like, what's up, preacher? Greeted him cheerfully. What's up, preacher? And then he gets churchy on him. May the Lord bless you. I'm tired of church people in America. If, if I ask you, what's up? How you doing? How's it going? You do not have to talk to me out of church manual speak. Oh, Pastor Scott, I'm just blessed and highly favored. The Lord has just been good to me this week, Reverend. What? You're highly favored. How high? Or are you just high? Highly? Do you know what highly favored means? How are you highly favored? Are you more highly favored than I am? Or are you more lowly favored than me? He throws this church stuff. You always know they're phony when they throw their church speak on you. Nobody talks like that to their friends. Well, some overly, overly crazy people do. If you find yourself on the telephone talking to your buddy in church speak, you've lost it. You need to pray and ask God to fix your mind to get you back to normal. But Saul, he's lost it. He's out of his mind now. He's building monuments to his foolishness. He, he, he's, he's unashamed of, of his sin. He, he's out there and doesn't care. He's greeting the preacher cheerfully and, and throwing religious talk at him. May the Lord bless you. He said, I have carried out the Lord's command. 
He's still patting himself on the back. He's so delusional at this point. Listen, this is what sin that you accept in your life. See, here's the difference in Christians. Everybody has sin in their life, okay? The only person that's, per- the only person that's perfect is Jesus. If we could be perfect, we wouldn't need Jesus. Everyone has sin in their life, but Christians have shame in that game. People who love the Lord want to do better. When you get so delusional that you can parade your sin out there and think that it's good and that everybody should be proud of you, you've crossed over into dangerous territory. Saul is in delusionville because sin that is celebrated will always bring strong delusion. When you begin to celebrate your partial obedience, when you begin to celebrate your lifestyle and it's aberrant to God's word, it's going to cause you wrong thinking in your head. And Saul's thinking has got messed up. He's like, check me out. I did what God said. I built a monument to me. Hallelujah. Ain't I great? Fifth thing I want you to see. Samuel busts him. Samuel says, well, how do I hear the bleeding of the sheep? And goats. Samuel is the prophet that God sent to Saul to tell him, kill all the sheep and all the goats. Kill all the men, the women, the babies, the children, the donkeys, the animals, the cattle. And Saul's all bowed up and swelled up. Hey, preacher, hallelujah, glory to God, blessing unto you, reverend, all that other church foolishness, and and bragging about how much he's done good this week. And, And Samuel's like, I think I hear some goats off in the distance. That couldn't be sheep, is it, Saul? Because you know God said kill all the sheep. So what is this bleeding of the sheep and the goats that I hear? Verse 14 in our text, the Bible says, Then what is the bleeding of sheep and goats and lowing of the cattle I hear? Samuel, listen, demanded. It just went from feeling good and okay and all church speaky to uneasy because now the prophet of God has moved away from hey how you doing what's up to putting this dude in his place you need to rejoice to have men and women of God in your life you need to rejoice to have Christian fathers and mothers older wiser Christians that are willing to come around you and tell you what's right and what's wrong I've been preaching for so long, and I understand that my messages are challenging, and they're in your face, and they're to the point, and they're not often warm and fuzzy and feel-good stuff. That's the kind of stuff growing megachurches in the world. We're not going to grow a megachurch here because I'm not going to come and say, oh, you're partially obeying God, congratulations. I'm going to keep telling the truth. I told my mom one time, though, I said, Mom, I'm just tired of all these hard messages God gives me to preach. I, I just like to preach something easy every now and then. And my mom, with the wisdom of a true woman of God said, son, keep preaching the truth. Keep stepping on my toes because if my feet are pointed in the wrong direction, I need you to kick them back in the right direction. Samuel's entering into his prophet mode now, and he's like, he, he's, he's, he's moved out of, hey, how's it going, to getting into this guy's stuff and demanding that something's wrong. Sixth thing I want you to see is Saul does what everybody does. He blames others. And that game old. It's always someone else's fault. Pass the buck. It's always someone else's fault. The, 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 well, I don't know. I hate politics. Um, we just had the most divisive election in the history of the world. We got everybody upset 
this, this president ought to, ought to take, take a page out of every other president's book and, and start blaming the last guy. That, that's what they all do. And then what they all do, they blame the last guy for the whole time they're in. And it's like, well, just blame him forever. You'll never have to take no responsibility. This is, this is an old school trick. Blame somebody else. And this is what Saul does. He, he blames somebody else. In verse 15, it says, it's true. Okay. Yeah, well, of course it's true. The prophet's in your grill now. He already told you what's going on. It's true, listen, that the army spared the best of the sheep. Well, did the army have a monument built to them saying they killed everything? Or is that your picture on, 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 the, on the statue? The army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, Samuel admitted. But they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We, now he gets to include himself, we have destroyed everything else. He's just trying to wiggle his way into good and throw shade on everybody else. When you start passing the buck, when you start blaming somebody else, you know that you're wrong. Because this is what's been going on from the beginning. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. God comes to them. They're hiding. They be, Listen. Check this out, man. Now, this would be awesome because, you know, Eve was together. I, I don't know how much she weighed, but I know she was smoking hot, okay? Let's just get to it. This, God made this woman, so you know she's bad. Adam has got the woman of his dreams. They're butt naked in a garden. It can't get much better than that for living. Y'all don't want to help me. I'm telling you the truth. They got paradise. Just walking around, you know, free in the breeze. Nothing going on and no rent. They sin. They realize, we ain't got no clothes on. They hide from God. God comes and tells us, who told you you was naked? Why are you hiding from me? And then God asks Adam about his sin. What did Adam say? That woman. First two words, that woman. That woman, she did it. And then when God asked him again, he threw the same two words out, but he added an addendum to it. He said, that woman that you gave me. Well, you got to really be shot out to start blaming God for your mess. Adam blamed the woman. God didn't fall for that. So Adam threw it on God. Well, you did it. You gave her to me. What you going to do about it? Saul is blaming everyone. He's saying the army did it. It's true. You got them. They, they wrong. It is true. They, they spared the sheep and the goats when they should have killed everything. I'll admit that. They, he's admitting other people's mistakes. When you find yourself admitting other people's mistakes but not admitting your own mistakes, you're walking in delusion. And you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. He's admitting. He's confessing other people's sin. He said, but they are going to sacrifice. Why is he speaking for these people? They operate at his behest. They are his army. They do what he tells them to do. And he said, oh, but they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. It's, listen, this same type of foolishness. I had somebody come to church one day and they're like, oh, Pastor, God bless me this morning. Uh, really? What happened? Well, I went through the McDonald's drive-thru, ordered, ordered a coffee. I, I gave them a five. They gave me change for a 20. And, and I just said, thank you, Jesus. 
You drove off with that change for a 20? That's called stealing. That ain't called God blessing you. Because now that, 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 that single mother working for minimum wage, they're looking for that money out of her pocket. Because she made a simple mistake. And you're supposed to be saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. You should have told that woman, oh, here, let me give this back as a testimony to your integrity. Oh, but no, people, people, start, people start saying, well, I know it's wrong, but I, I, I'll, give some of, I'll give some credit to God in it. I'll, I'll turn it into a blessing. Listen, God, get this if you don't get nothing else. God will not bless your mess ever. God will not bless your mess. No matter how you try to twist it, no matter how you try to polish it, no matter how you try to present it, God will not bless your mess. He's, he's, he's squirming now because the man of God's up in his face. He's squirming. He's blaming other people. He's confessing sins that other people did. And then, and then he says, we have, then he puts himself finally into it. He says, we have destroyed everything else. He knows he's wrong, but he's not willing to deal with it in an honest fashion. Listen, if you're wrong, say you're wrong. God knows. I mean, you fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool God. And everybody else ain't worth fooling. You cannot fool God. Listen to verse 16. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop! Exclamation point. He's sick of this. See, this old soul preaching right here. He doesn't coddle him and comfort him and stroke him in his sin. He yelled at him. Don't be scared to raise your voice to your children, parents. He said, stop it. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. Oh, Saul's, what did he say? What did he say? What did he tell you? Saul asked. Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. Samuel set him up and letting him know, no matter what you think of yourself, you are who you are because of God's grace on your life. You have what you have because God has given it to you. The place you're in, the space you're in, the air you breathe, and the position you occupy, God puts you there. Verse 18, and the Lord sent you on a mission. And told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? See, this old school preaching, calling it what it is. Because it is what it is. And the truth's the truth what? Anyhow, the truth's always the truth. And, and this, this preacher's not scared to call the truth. The truth. He's not polishing it up because the king can have him killed, which Saul could, other than the fact that, you know, Samuel had God on his side. But he's not scared and running from politicians. He's letting them know what you did was evil in the Lord's sight. Stop saying you're going to give some of it to God. Stop justifying it. Stop blaming it on your foot soldiers and just own it. You did this. Why? Why did you do this? Why didn't you obey the Lord? Why did you rush to take that stuff when you knew God told you not to? And then Saul continues on, seventh point, justifying his action. This is what people continue to do. Listen, if you got kids, you know about people justifying their actions. 
two kids in the bedroom. This is my house. Two kids in the bedroom. Two boys in the bedroom. I hear something break. I hear a loud bang. I hear a scream. I got one question. Who did it? They both have the exact same answer. He did it. You know how children are. But listen, adults can be this way too. Saul is still justifying his actions. Saul says in verse 20, but I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. Let me tell you something. If you do wrong and God sends somebody your way and says you did wrong, why? Don't argue with them, especially if it's the preacher. Just admit that you did wrong and go into confession and repentance mode. Because God said if you ask for forgiveness, he'll give it to you. Saul's like, no, you got me wrong, preacher. You're in here yelling at me, telling me what I did wrong. I did obey the Lord. Saul insisted. When you start arguing with experts, when you're in the wrong to begin with, you find yourself in a deficient place. Samuel is the expert in what God said because Samuel was the one God used to say it. Samuel knew what God said, and now this dude is trying to say, oh, no, you're telling me I did wrong, but I did right. I carried out the mission that he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Here's more justification. I, I, I did almost everything I was supposed to do. And here's the deal. Parents, you got to accept your children based on loving obedience. This is how God accepts us, on loving obedience. If you only accept your kids on perfect obedience, then you're never going to be able to accept them. If I tell my children to clean the bathroom, at, at 53 years old, prior service, raised in a disciplined home, I can go behind my 12-year-old and find something that wasn't done to perfection. Do you follow that? But as a parent, I also know whether or not he put his heart into it and tried to do right. God is looking at your heart. God is looking to see, did you try to do right? Saul not even trying to take any responsibility. He's not trying to do anything but get away with his twist, get away with his foolishness, blame other people, and not repent. He said, yeah, I brought back King Agag. He doesn't say, and I was wrong for that. He just said, but I destroyed everything. Now, all of a sudden, he destroyed everything. Before it was them, now it's him. Like he did any of this killing. He's sitting on a horse somewhere watching this. But now he's taking credit for all the wrong stuff, ducking blame for all the stuff he should be accepting. Eighth thing, and here's, here's the most famous phrase out of the entire book of 1 Samuel. Chapter 15, verse 22 says, But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, exclamation point. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Samuel tells the king at this point to obey is better than sacrifice. And this is the word of the Lord for April of 2017. Obedience is still better than sacrifice. God said to obey is better than sacrifice. If God tells you to do something, you need to do it. 
Don't not do it and try to shine it up and give it to God. See, this was Saul, this was Saul's back excuse. He was just going to keep all that for himself because the scripture said they kept what appealed to them. It didn't say they kept what they thought would appeal to God so they could give it to God. They kept what appealed to them. This was a selfish act on their part. They were going to keep it for their own use, but when caught, now see, there's a difference in being sorry for something and being sorry you got caught. All right, that's a different message for a different time, but you know what I'm talking about. He, now sorry that he got caught, tries to polish it up and say, but we're going to give it to God. Or we're going to give some of it to God. God don't need some or nothing. See, this is where people mistake church, preachers, and God. They think that God ought to be happy that they even come to church on Sunday. No, coming to church is your sacrifice. What a great sacrifice. We come sit in mostly air-conditioned buildings on padded chairs. I'm not sure that that's a great sacrifice. I know you got to get up. I mean, come on. I mean, it's at 10.30. Your work probably starts earlier than that. But coming to church, you may be able to call your sacrifice, but that's not all that God is looking for. God says your obedience is more important than your sacrifice. Serving in ministry is your sacrifice, but God says your obedience is more important than all that. It doesn't matter if you give Millions of dollars to church, sit in church for thousands of hours, read the Bible, sing songs to God, serve in every ministry. If you know you are living in disobedience to God and you are not doing anything to try to correct that, God is not smiling on you. Because God will not bless your mess. Last verse I'm going to read. Verse 23. Ninth, last point. Sin has consequences, and we need to understand this. Samuel said, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Saul is the first and only king in the history of the nation of Israel. Saul is the best looking man in the whole country. The Bible says he was head and shoulder taller than everybody else. He was big, strong, good-looking. His name means natural ability. He had all the natural ability in the world. He's the only king. God's man had anointed him to be the king. But because of his willful, arrogant, and unrepented disobedience, God rejected him. There's a difference between sinning and sinning with arrogance. And this is what I want us to get, because everybody in this room is a sinner. Everybody on this planet is a sinner. Everyone who's saved is still a sinner. And we're going to fight and struggle and deal with our imperfections. But there is a difference between sinning and sinning with arrogance. There is a difference between sinning and hoping to do better than sinning and saying, I'm just, I'm just doing me. Saul was at the point where I'm just doing me. I don't care what the preacher thinks. I don't care what God thinks. I don't care what anybody says. This me and I'm going to do me. When you get to that place, 
You need to just get a T-shirt that says, I am an arrogant sinner, and I don't care what anyone can do. I've had people tell me in counseling, marriage counseling, they're going to walk away from their spouse for someone else. And I told them, God is not going to bless that. God said you got to stay together. God, God said what he joined together don't break up. God said y'all got to work this out. And I've had people say, I don't care what the Bible says, and I don't care what God does to me. I'm moving on. That level of arrogance does not know how much stronger God is than human beings. See, God could have done anything to Saul. But here's what God does consistently, and if you study the Bible, you'll find out. God knows how to get your attention. He, he knows how to pull your punk card. He, he knows where your soft spot is. He knows how to hit you where it hurts. And the thing that Saul valued more than anything else was being the king and having Samuel in his pocket. If you keep reading this chapter, you'll find out. Samuel said, I ain't even going back. I ain't even riding back on the same road with you, bro, because God is done with you. And Saul begs him, please come back my way. Let me go worship with you. And Saul, Samuel's like, nah, I'm, uh-uh. You got, you got the funk on you, son. I got to go a different way. Saul was so proud of the fact that he was the king and Samuel was his co-signer. So God decided, okay. I, he'd been sending Saul love and grace and merciful messages trying to get Saul to do what's right, trying to get him to walk in obedience, at least trying to get him to feel sorrowful for his sin. But he wouldn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't. So finally, God says, I just reject you as king. That thing that means the most to you, I just snatch it right out from you. Remember Pharaoh in the Old Testament? Moses said, God said, let my people go that we may go into a desert to worship him. Pharaoh said, no. God starts sending plagues. They turned turn the, turn the, all the water into blood. Brought flies, brought frogs, brought locusts. Pharaoh was like, do what you want to do. I'm in my castle. I'm protected. So God said, oh, you're one of them hard cases. I know how to get what means something to you. And God sent the death angel and killed his son. Now, men, you know about that. You might be willing to stiff your neck up and argue over some stuff. But you're not trying to lose your children. God knows how to get your attention. Saul wouldn't listen. See, a lot of comparison has been made theologically between Saul and David. Because Saul was the first king, David was the second king. And a lot of people think that Saul got rejected by God because he was sinful. Saul didn't get rejected by God because he was sinful. Actually, the scripture records more sinfulness from David than it does from Saul. David was a murderer a whoremonger. He had at least eight wives that we know of by name. He cheated on all eight of them. He was a bad parent. He had incest in his home. He had murder in his home. He was a coward. He was scared of his own children, running and hiding. He, he did so much wrong 
much more sin than Saul did. Why does Saul get rejected as king, but David got honored as king? Because he didn't repent. He sinned willfully with arrogance. See, whereas Saul was stiff-necked, I'm going to be me. David was rubbernecked. David had spin around and walked back to God. Every time, see, that's what repentance means. To have a change of mind that results in a change of direction. You walk in the wrong way, God says, what you're doing is wrong and that's not pleasing to me. I see that, I'm going to walk this way. A change of mind that results in a change of direction. David, every time he was confronted by God's man or by God's spirit, would turn around and walk back toward God. Saul was not rejected for being a sinner, and God will not reject you for being a sinner. Saul was not rejected because he had issues, and God will not reject you because you have issues. Saul was not rejected because he was yet imperfect, and God will not reject you because you are yet imperfect. Saul was rejected because he was arrogant, he was willful, and he was determined to continue in his foolishness. He was stubborn. He was stubborn, and he was rebellious. And that's why verse 23 says, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. See, if you study, you'll find out that Saul had torn down the idols that were being used by witches and diviners. Saul had, had, had represented witchcraft as wrong. But God sent his man to say, your rebellion is just as bad as that witchcraft you preach against. Whatever it is that you're doing that's wrong is just as bad as what somebody else is doing that's wrong that you don't like. Or you don't like what they're doing that's wrong, but you justify what you're doing, and it's just as wrong. The Bible says your stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. How about that? Y'all think we got any stubborn people in the church? Yeah. Any, any, we got any rebellious people? Listen, I, 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 I'll prove to you that we got, rebell, we got rebellious people. We're going to take an offering in nine minutes. And God said put 10% of all your increase in the bucket. We're going to see how rebellious folk are. Mm. You don't like that rubber meeting the road proof in the pudding stuff. You, know, you want pie in the sky and the sweet by and by stuff. You want me to pat you on your way to hell. Listen, rebellion <laughs> is just as bad as witchcraft. And stubbornness is just as bad as worshiping idols. Here's what I want you to understand. Sin is sin, and all of it is bad. Stop justifying your sin over and against somebody else's sin. Stop thinking that somebody else is a worse person than you are because they do something you don't. Well, I would never do that. Well, ain't you special? Don't make you right. Sin is sin, and because Saul just continued to blame others, continued to stay arrogant, stubborn, rebellious. God rejected him. Now, if you study timelines and chronology of the Bible, you'll find out from this point to the time where David actually became king is 25 years. Check this out. I'm done. Saul kept being the king for 25 years after God was done with him. Just because 
everybody don't see how jacked up you are? Don't mean God hadn't already pulled the covers off you. God knows what he's doing, and he has a time frame. And here's how God's time frame always works. He asks you to change. He asks you to do better. He gives you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. He gives you grace to repent. And if you don't, you put yourself in a position of being dealt with. And God dealt with Saul. Didn't happen right away, but it happened. And he lost the thing that meant most to him. We saw nine things in this long passage. God gave Saul specific instructions. He gives them to us too. You need to obey everything God tells you to do. The Bible says if you know to do good and you're not doing it, that's sin. Saul put his own twist on what God had told him. Don't do that. Don't don't be stubborn like that. God saw Saul as unloyal and disobedient. That's not who you want to be, Christian. God said the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for one person who was completely loyal to God. Saul was not that one person, but you can be. God is not looking for someone who's completely perfect. He already has that person in himself. He's looking for someone who is completely loyal, and you need to be that person to God. Saul felt good about his foolishness, and he built a monument to himself. Don't do that. See your wrong is wrong. Samuel heard the sheep and the goats in the distance. You think people don't hear your sheep? They're bleeding. They're lowing. The noise in your life. Other people are hearing it. And it needs to stop. Saul could have made a change, but he blamed other people. Don't do that. See, if you want what others have, you got to do what they did to get it. And the Bible says we have these stories for our examples that we can learn from them. We need to see the people that did the right thing and do the right thing so we can have the blessing that they had. We need to see the people that did the wrong thing and avoid the wrong thing so we can avoid the rejection of our Father. That's all God. Saul blames others. He justifies his actions. Don't be that person. When you start saying, but I never did this, but I never did that, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so, but she's worse than me, but he's worse than me. Deal with you. Deal with you. Counselors say the biggest aha moment, light bulb goes on moment in someone's life is when they come to a full realization that they can only be accountable for themselves. You can only control you, but you need to get busy about doing it. When you stop looking at other people to change, when you stop looking at uh, when for, for preachers to change and politicians to change and communities to change, but not looking at yourself to change, 
You're walking in delusion. You got to start with the person in the mirror. To obey is better than sacrifice. God wants our obedience more than anything. It takes money to do ministry. It's always more fun when lots of people show up and sing loud. But that's just church stuff. God could get all that done without us. God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need our attendance. God, that's not, a, that's not God's concern. God's concern is our obedience. Are you obeying him? Well, not as much as I should. I know. But God gives us a great opportunity, and this is why I tell you every week, we are all only one prayer away from being perfectly right with God. So my question to you this morning is, are you willing to pray to become right with God? Or would you like to stay rebellious? Are you willing to pray and ask God to forgive you? Or would you like to stay stubborn? Because your rebellious and your stubbornness is just like witchcraft and idolatry. God said if we confess our sins, he'll forgive us of our sins. All of us have sinned, but all of us won't repent. All of us have sinned, but all of us won't ask God to forgive us. All of us have sinned, but all of us won't own it. When you start owning it, and you start asking God to forgive you for it, you're going to see a different level of life come your way. The rejection will turn into acceptance, and the acceptance will turn into help, and the help will turn into change, and the change will turn into something better. And this is what God wants for you. But it starts with you. So my question to you in closing is this, because I know we've all sinned. I know we all got issues. I know we all got something that we need to do better in. Are you going to keep justifying it, blaming other people and saying you ain't as bad as somebody else? Are you going to tell a holy God, sir, I know I'm wrong for that. Please forgive me and help me do better. Pray with me. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for grace to repent. Father, we're your children, but we're sinful. We love you, but we're unholy. We want to make you proud. We want to show the world that we truly do love you. So, God, I pray that you would forgive us of our sins. Help us to do better. Help us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us, God, to not walk in partial obedience, but in total obedience. Help us to be quick to repent. Help us to not be stubborn. Help us to not be like Saul, but to be like David. Help us to be quick to run back to you. Thank you for being a soft spot for us to land. Thank you for always having open arms to receive us. Thank you for saying that if we would confess our sins, that you would forgive us of our sins. And God, I pray today, Lord that you would draw your children closer to you. Help us, God, to obey, not with partial obedience, but with total loyalty and our whole heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at AOCFnow.com dot org.
Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to alcfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.